that, that song taught me something. It taught me something in the first service, taught me something in the second service. It's a, it's a confirmation of something I've said for years. White people can't clap. <clears throat> you can't say anything about white people. <laughs> I'm white. I got to tell you, we, we do this. We're like, ha, ha. Yeah, I don't know what to do with my hand. <laughs> anyway, um, one of the things, I've had people kind of pull me aside and talk to me about my illustrations. And they're like, hey, I don't know if you know this or not. But um, you talk about football and food a lot. And I always go, yeah? That's pretty much all I know is football and food. In fact, if we can talk football and food together, that's the best day ever if there's a good game on. I, I love football and food. So with that in mind, let's talk about football. I, people ask me, did, did you play football? And when, like I'm 6'6". Six, six. I, I, I used to weigh about 240. I'm down to about 205 now because I love to run. But I, I'm a big guy. And there's, they say, did you play football? And I say, yes. I played football for two years, and then I officially retired. Um, because, and it wasn't because I was so awesome. I only lacked two things, athletic ability and skill. Those are the only two things I lacked. But when I did play football, now you're gonna, some of you are not going to believe the story I'm about to tell you, but it's true, and you're going to have to ask somebody a little older than you for confirmation. When I played football, it was a different world than it is today. I went out for football 40 years ago, and 40 years ago, the approach to football is way different. For example, I was, uh, I was a football practice one day, and I was nose guard on defense, and I wasn't nose guard because I was like the, a really great player. I was just the biggest player, so I could stop more people with my size, um, not my muscle size, all right? So, so I wasn't really good, but on this particular, there was one play, I never will forget this, where I got by the center, he snapped the ball, and I did this like swim move. I only did it one time. I've never figured out how to do it again. And I was going straight for the tailback. And y'all, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, and, and if you're a dude, you'll get this. In fact, some of our dudettes will get this, all right? You know what it's like when you're playing football and you've got somebody dead and you're about to just blow them up. You know how good that feels? It's dark, right? But you know how good it feels. It just You're like... I'm about to hit him so hard that his grandchildren will not know their names. It's going to be amazing. So I've got this guy, and, and it was so, I can still see it. As the quarterback handed him the ball, he and I made eye contact, and his eyes got this big. It was going to be the greatest day of my life until I experienced my very first blindside block. The fullback came in from this direction. I never saw him. None of my defensive teammates said, oh, Perry, you might not. No, nobody said anything. It's almost like they went, oh, snap, let's just watch this happen. He hit me so hard. I never will forget this. That I don't know if you've ever been hit so hard that everything starts ringing in the moment. And as I can remember looking to the side and my feet were passing my head, going up into the air, and this thought went through my mind, this is going to hurt. <laughs> I hit the ground with my helmet. It went halfway around. So, so my helmet was covering up this side of my face. I thought I was blind in my right eye. I mean, I got messed up all sorts of ways. But this was 40 years ago. 
This was not today. If this happened today, the coach would come give you a hug, tell you you're a snowflake, give you a latte, and take you to your special place so you could get over what just happened to you. My coach didn't do that. My coach came up. I got in trouble for getting blindsided. And he called me a bunch of names that are not in the Bible. And then he picked, he reached down, picked me up by my face mask. Yes, they did this 40 years ago. Ask an older person. Picked me up by my face mask, looked at me and said, shake it off. Now, I'm 10 years old at the time and I'm a very literal person. I'm like. I didn't do that, honestly. I couldn't have told, like, I'm 90% sure I had a concussion. I, got, I didn't even know my name. You're like, how many fingers am I holding up? I went, thirsty. I'm mean, like, I couldn't, I couldn't think straight. And I can remember my dad was at that practice and getting in the truck with him afterwards. He goes, got your bell rung, didn't you, boy? <laughs> yeah, it's what, it's what happened. My bell got rung. He said, what'd your coach say to you when he came up? I said, he told me to, told me to shake it off. He went, that's what I'd have told you. So, so my abusive father and coach had the, the advice, <laughs> shake it off. Which you don't shake off a blind side, do you? Now, here's the reason I bring that up. Here's the reason I bring that up. Number one, it's not just to let you know I was a bad football player. It's, it's to let you know that, that there are people in this room that maybe it hasn't been a football blind side, but you've been blindsided in life. Like, you got blindsided. You got blindsided the day you showed up for work and found out it was your last day at work and you didn't know it. See, that's a blindside. You got blindsided when, when you walked in the house and you saw divorce papers on, on the counter. See, that's a blindside. You got blindsided when you found out that your, your kids had a drug problem. Or maybe you got blindsided when your drug problem got discovered. It's a, it's a blindside. There's not one single person in this room that hasn't been blindsided by a phone call or a text or an email or face-to-face -face confrontation that left you feeling dazed. And, you, and when you get in that situation, listen, I'm just going to acknowledge something. It hurts. It hurts. There's nothing that anybody can say to take away the hurt. So, Pastor P, how do we deal with with a hurt. I'm going to tell you what my football coach told me. You got to shake it off. You got to shake it off. Now, that's insensitive if I just say shake it off and we pray and go home because you would leave going, I don't even, I, I don't, you would be in the parking lot doing this. Like you, you, like you don't know how to do it. So not only am I going to tell you to shake it off today, but I'm going to teach you how to shake it off. I'm going to teach you why you should shake it off. And then, the, and, and then hopefully by the end of the service, you're, you're going to walk out of this place equipped to shake off what the enemy tried to put on you to rob you of the abundant life that Jesus promised you, okay? So in order to do this, we're going to go back to an Old Testament story in the Bible. And if you're from church world, you're semi-familiar with the story. It's about a dude named Jacob and a guy named Esau. And they're brothers, but they don't get along. And we're going to talk more about it tonight because it's fascinating. Here we go. Watch this. 
And when the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she did indeed have twins. Now, I just got a question. How many, how many mamas you given birth? Come on, mamas, mamas. I, okay, by the, I'm following the science. It's mothers that give birth. I, I'm just following the science, okay? How would you love it, moms, if you're giving birth and you birth your child and then the nurse went, it's time for number two. You didn't know. Like your, like your husband would be going number two. Like, like that's what would happen. That's what I would have done, right? So they're going to have two. Now watch what happens. The first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat. Let me pause. Babies are ugly when they're born. Now, you're going to lean over and tell you, oh, you weren't ugly. No, they, no that you were especially ugly if your mom was telling you that. You, babies are ugly. And all the mothers are like, oh, gosh, you're so, no, you were on an epidural, okay? And the husband, oh, my baby was, okay, you were smoking weed, sir, all right? Your baby, well, babies are not pretty right when they're born. You don't know whether to hug it or send it back to outer space because it looks like an alien. This one was red, covered with thick hair like a fur coat, so they named him Esau, which literally means hair. What's your name? Hair. <laughs> then the other twin was born, and his hand was grasping Esau's heel. That couldn't have been comfortable, so they named him Jacob, which means deceiver. How weird is that when you take your two twin boys all dressed up just alike to the local... You know, people's birthday party. Hey, what's your kid's name? Hair and Deceiver. Oh, my kids can't play with your kids, right? <laughs> Isaac, Isaac, the dad, was 60 years old when the twins were born. So that's typically when you, like, become the grandpa, but he was, he was like a late bloomer, all right? Now, as the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman. But Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. In other words, they weren't anything alike. Esau was a man's man. He wore trucker's hat and camouflage jacket and Levi's jeans and Carhartt boots. And he listened to Chris Stapleton and Luke Combs, drove a Toyota Tundra and hunted things and just chewed tobacco. That was Esau. Jacob, not so much. Jacob wore skinny jeans and knitted his own scarf, <laughs> drove a Prius, and hung, hung out at the house with his mom and watched the Lifetime channel, all right? That's... <laughs> Can we see the difference? Very different, right? And, and, and there became a problem. Because there, there, there was a little rivalry that developed between them, and mom and dad didn't help. Mom and dad didn't help, and this is not a parenting class, but this is Isaac loved Esau. He loved the, the, the manly man, and, and, and because he enjoyed eating wild game, Esau brought home. But Rebekah loved Jacob, so there's a problem. Well, as they grow up, Esau and Jacob are kind of at each other the whole time, and Isaac, the father, was getting ready to pass away. When in this particular culture, the father would pronounce a blessing 
over the firstborn child. Now, in this culture, you wanted to be the firstborn child because the firstborn got the biggest inheritance and the biggest blessing. Now, the blessing in this time period was also considered to be very prophetic. So what the father spoke over you was going to happen to you. And so Isaac told Esau, hey, it's time to give you the blessing that I give the firstborn son. You go out, find some wild game, kill it, bring it in, we'll eat, and then I'll give you the blessing. So Esau goes out, gets in his tree stand to, to kill something. And Rebecca heard about it, and she comes and tells Jacob, Jacob, I want you to get the blessing reserved for Esau. So you dress up like Esau, you put on some clothes, like you sweat you, because you, Isaac's eyesight was going bad. You go in and pretend to be Esau. In other words, pr- like lie and cheat and steal and get the blessing. So what happened was that happened. Jacob goes in while Esau is out hunting and steals the blessing that was reserved for him. And this, this, this is what the blessing that Isaac pronounced over Jacob that should have been pronounced over Esau. Watch this. From the dew of heaven and the richness of the earth, may God always give you abundant harvest of grain and bountiful new wine. That's good right there, but it gets better. May the nations become your servants, and may they bow down to you. May you be the master over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed, and all who bless you will be blessed. Now, that's a blessing. That's amazing. And so Jacob gets that blessing, and he leaves. Then Esau comes in. He's like, Dad, here for the blessing. And Isaac's like, I just gave you the blessing. Esau's like, no, you didn't. I was in the tree stand. I was tilling the thing, and I had to cook it. And basically, they found out that Jacob had deceived Isaac and robbed Esau of his blessing. So Esau, like, had a fit. He just starts crying and carrying on. This is southern Ezra, crying and carrying on. And, and Esau pleaded, but do you have only one blessing? Oh, my father, bless me too. Then Esau broke down and wept because this was a serious deal. This was serious in this culture. And this, and once again, I've been reading the Bible now in some way, shape, form, or fashion for 45 years. Never seen what I'm about to share with you. Never seen it. And it's always been there. It's what's crazy. It's always been there. Finally, his father Isaac said to him, you will live away from the richness of the earth and away from the dew of heaven above. Okay, well, that's dreadful. But you will live by your sword and you will serve your brother. But when you decide, so Esau, you got to, I mean, when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke from your neck. In other words, Esau, it's going to be rough. But you got a decision. And your decision is when and where are you going to shake it off? Because Esau, this decision's in your hands. My advice, shake it off. So today, I'm going to walk you through how to shake it off. We're going to get real specific tonight. But today, I'm going to walk you through three steps on how we can shake it off. I'm I'm not trying to minimize the hurt. I'm not trying to minimize the pain. I'm going to walk you through how to shake it off. Number one, 
If we're going to shake it off, we've got a decision to make because that's what Isaac told Esau. When you decide, we've got a decision to make. There are people in this room that are crippled by making decisions. There, there, there are people in this room, you changed outfits two to three times this morning before you came to church because you can't make a decision. There are people in this room, after this service, you will be in our parking lot for the next two hours. Not because you love this church, but because somebody looked at you and said, where would you like to eat? And usually the wife says, would you just make a decision? I don't care. We'll go anywhere. Just pick a place. And the husband will go, how about such? No, anywhere but there. <laughs> we'll do a relationship series some other time. All right. But, but you're crippled by making decisions. Now, if you're brand new to the South, and I know people have moved into the South from other places um, all over the United States. If you're brand new to the South, I need to teach you what an animal is so you'll understand um, what this animal is and why you only see it. In certain ways. In the South, we kind of like have an unofficial state animal. It's the possum. <laughs> These creatures are ugly. They, they, they will hiss at you if you ever catch one. I've got a story about catching a possum, but that's another place, another time. They will hiss at you. And some of you are like, I have never seen one of those. Yes, you have. You just saw it like this. <laughs> got it? Okay, now, now I, I tell you, okay, good, good, good. So let me tell you why possums get hit all the time. You've hit a possum. There are many people in this room, you hit a possum. You don't swerve for possums. You hit them. You just hit, you just do. Because if you don't hit them, you swerve the car, you hurt everybody in the car, another message, another time. But you just hit the possum. Now, why do possums get hit, especially at night? It's because they have an incredible sense of smell, but they don't have a great sense of sight. And so when you approach a possum and your car lights hit the possum, they are just realizing that they're in trouble. That's why they'll run from side to side, and then they stop and stare. <laughs> and that's, they get plowed over because they can't make a decision. It's like they go out on the road, and remember they got an incredible sense of smell. So they're like, what's that? Diesel? <laughs> that, that's the last thing that runs through their mind. So, so people are, are, are captivated, are captured by the fact that we can't make a decision. And we can't make, a, we can't make the decision to break free. Now, why can't we make the decision to break free? I'm going to share three reasons with you today. Letter A is lies. We believe lies. Everybody in this room at some point has believed a lie. Um, my dad... My dad was famous for telling lies. But when you're a kid, your parents never lie. They always tell the truth. So my dad, when I, I remember I used to get up out of bed all the time. I'd get up out of bed all the time because was, I was always scared. And I'd wake my dad up and we get some water or whatever. So one night, my dad just got tired of it. And he didn't threaten me. This is all he had to do. Because for some reason, when I was a kid, I was petrified of bears. I don't know why. I think it was because my mom and dad took me to Disneyland and saw the country bear jamboree and something... Like a bear singing just ain't right. That ain't right. It shouldn't be like that. So I was scared of bears. So my dad told me one night, and I won't forget this. He said, Perry, listen, son, I didn't want to tell you this. But there are bears under your bed. 
don't look, don't, don't look, because if you look, they'll get you. Now, Perry, I love you, but, but if you get out of bed, I cannot protect you from these bears. I didn't leave my bedroom for 800 days. I mean, I, just, I, I was, he said they leave in the morning. So they, that's, they, I didn't see them leave. I was watching. But I, you know what? I, it kept me in bed. I didn't move. I did not move because I was scared. In other words, a lie kept me locked in to a certain, do you know lies will keep us locked in? Give me an example of a lie, Pastor It's very simple. Here's a lie. You'll never change. You'll always be this way. You know your mom was this way or your dad was this way. It's just in your blood. It's who your family is. You'll never break that addiction. You'll always struggle in that area of your life. You'll never have. Those are, those are the lies that we believe. Most of the time, it's the lies that we tell ourselves over and over and over again. Nobody has lied to you or hurt you more than you. And we get that way because of lies. The second reason we get that way is because of comfort. Comfort. This is my favorite time of year. And no, it's not because of Halloween or pumpkins or pumpkin spice lattes. Do you like pumpkins? No, 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 I don't. I like black. I told y'all that last black coffee. And in the, in, in, in the winter, you just make it stronger, stronger. Like you drink it and grow a beard like in five seconds. That's how strong. <laughs> the reason I love this time of year is because of the weather. Because it's like a little warm in the day, but at night it's kind of crisp and cold. And I grew up, my mom and dad, we had an attic fan in the ceiling. Some of y'all know what an attic fan is. And my dad was very hot-natured like me. So he wanted it freezing in the house. Freezing. And I loved it. So on nights like last night, I think it got down to what, like 42? My dad would open all the windows in the house, cut the attic fan on. So whatever temperature it was outside when you woke up, that was the temperature in the house. Which was all, and now my mom, bless her heart, she froze to death all the time. But, but I can remember waking up several mornings, and you got the covers right up to here, and, and your nose, you can kind of see your breath out from under the covers, and, and your nose is kind of purple because it froze that night, you know? And, and it's, you can't, but it's so comfortable. It's so comfortable until you have to move. Like, you, you sit there, and you go, you know what, it's... I, I know I'm 12, but I can still wet the bed because I, I don't want to move. Like, I don't want to move. It's so comfortable that we don't want to move. Do you know that there are people that get comfortable with this function? You, listen, this is going to sting. There's some people that have gotten comfortable with the label that somebody else put on you. And you're like, well, if that's what they're going to call me, then that's just who I'm going to be. And we, we become comfortable with being a victim. But you've heard me say it before, I'll say it again. Victims never walk in victory. Vic- Listen, you can be a victim and you can have people feel sorry for you. 
You can have people crying for you. You can have people praying for you. And you can hold on to that victim status. But you know what? At the end of the day, I would encourage you to let go of the victim status and shake it off. Because if you're a Christian, Jesus Christ lives inside of you. And nobody on the planet had the right to scream victim more than Jesus. He was falsely betrayed. He was falsely accused. He was falsely arrested. He was falsely condemned. He was falsely crucified, and they put him in a grave. But Jesus proved victims don't stay in the grave. By the power of the resurrection, he walked out. We can walk out. We don't have to be victims. We can walk in victory. So if you want to hold on, if you want to hold on to that victim status, that's fine, but you're not holding on to it because that's what Jesus has spoken to you. Let us see. Frustration. Ever just gotten frustrated? Do, do you know when you're trying to make spiritual progress, you're going to experience frustration? We all experience frustration. There's not a person in this room that doesn't know what frustration is. If you've ever potty trained a child or house broken a dog or house broke your husband, or got your husband to actually throw clothes in the dirty hamper. Like if you, it, There's all kinds of things that are frustrating. But frustration should not hold us back. Do you know that the more we work at, I, you know, I, this is what I love. I tried. It, <laughs> we're coming up on the end of the year, which means beginning of next year. Everybody makes the New Year's resolution to go on a diet. This is going to be the year I lose weight. And you're good until you drive by Krispy Kreme. <laughs> and that hot now sign, it's like a tractor beam. It kind of pulls you in, right? You get frustrated. But it, I remember my dad taught me how to tie my shoe. I didn't learn it the first time. I didn't learn it the second time. I, I didn't learn it the first day. But eventually, I, like this morning when I was tying my I didn't even think about it. You just do it. Frustration is nothing more than a situation that you're in right now, but you don't have to stay there. You just keep pushing through. You can tell the people that keep pushing through and the people that give up because the people that keep pushing through have a smile on the face and the people that give up so hold on to that victim status. Which leads to, which leads to number two. Number two is we got strongholds to break. You know what a stronghold is. Now, if you're charismatic, you've heard of strongholds, and you're Presbyterian, you're not quite sure what a stronghold is. I'll teach you. Um, a stronghold is an area that we slowly but surely surrender to the enemy, and before we know it, he's got control of that area of our life. I'll give you an, an example. We'll go to food because we already talked about football. This time of year is dangerous for me. Let me tell you why it's dangerous. Because Chick-fil-A has those peppermint milkshakes, and they're not out yet, but I know they're coming. And when they get here, they have a stronghold in my life. I, listen, I, people tell me about stuff. I think, oh, Pastor Pete, have you tried such and such? And, and listen, Chick-fil-A, I, I, like their peach milkshake, and it's not that good. Their banana pudding milkshake, it's not that good. It's just not good. So it's the best thing ever. No, you're not saved. It's just not that good. <laughs> but that peppermint milkshake, I, don't, I, I, I know they're Chick-fil-A, but they're probably putting crack in that thing because it's addictive. 
I remember the first time somebody told me about it, I was like, I'll just go by and get it. I'll just get a small, you know, whatever. I'll just get a small and order a small, which is good. This, this is before they started putting the calories on the menu. <laughs> Whose idea was that? <laughs> They're not saved either. I, like that, like, oh my, does that not ruin your day? You go up, you're like, I want a piece of lettuce, <laughs> celery, water to drink. Go ahead and give me an enema too. Like that's, uh, that's the way we want to order our food. So I was like, yeah, you know, I get a small one, and I drank that small one, and y'all, that thing was amazing. So the next day, true story, I'm driving by Chick-fil-A, and I was like, huh, it's an opportunity. Pulled in. I said, I like a small one. She said, did you say a large? I said, yes, I did. <laughs> two weeks in a row. Every day for two weeks in a row. Every day. Every day. What about Sunday? I drank two on Saturday. Got you. It got to where I couldn't drive by Chick-fil-A. And then, and then I, went, I went to the gym and stepped on the scale. And the scale just said, nope. It wouldn't even wait. And don't we, how many of you got mad? That scale ain't right. It's always the scale's fault, isn't it? That scale ain't right. That's why that scale ain't right. But what was, I had allowed, Ch and so then I had to stop going to Chick-fil-A and drinking a large milkshake every day. I, listen, I could have continued that behavior, or, but, but it wasn't the devil holding me down, making me funnel Chick-fil-A milkshakes, hello. It was my decision. That's why I love the promise that we're given in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, where Paul says we use God's mighty weapons. God, whose weapons? God's mighty weapons. Whose weapons? God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. What are God's mighty weapons that we can use? Well, the first weapon is prayer. I'm fascinated with YouTube preachers. Fascinated. It used to, it used to be cable TV, but I don't, I, I don't even know what kind of TV I got right now because there's all these TV packages you can get. Like there's Hulu and Sling and Net I don't even know what, I don't know what I got. So I, but I do have YouTube. Some of the stuff on there is I, I spent two hours yesterday watching YouTube preachers. You're going to share in? Nope. Nope. I get in enough trouble right now. I'm just, but I'll tell, I'll tell you about this one guy. Talking to his people about prayer. And he was probably right. I mean, I, I guess he's right. I don't know. I just... He's like, y'all need to be, when y'all go to Walmart, y'all need to be praying for the good parking spots. I'm like, first of all, you shouldn't be going to Walmart. <laughs> Misleading your people, sir. And if you get in Walmart, it's not the parking spots you've got to pray for. It's somebody to actually be at the freaking cashier stand because you got one of them open. You need to be when you get in there, you need to pray that the TV's on sale. Well, I mean, maybe. But I don't think when Jesus was dying on the cross and bleeding out, he said, right before he said, to tell us die, it is finished, he said, my people will park at Walmart <laughs> and buy cheap TVs. Because of my death. Now, now, once again, now I know some people are gonna be offended, and that's all right. You ain't got no friends, but like that stuff offends you. <laughs> and 
if you want to pray for that stuff, just pray. I'm just telling you. Prayer isn't so that we can use God to get what we want. Prayer is an opportunity for God to change us. Prayer is an opportunity for us to begin to see things like God sees things. In fact, one of the most powerful prayers that we can pray is, God, help me to see like you see. And here is why. When we see like he sees, we're more likely to do what he says. Yes, I will say that again because it was awesome. When we see like he sees, we're more likely to do what he says. So prayer doesn't change our parking situation Prayer changes our mindset. It's literally an opportunity where we ask God, change the way I see, change the way I feel, change the way I think, change my heart, change my mind, and that right there will break a stronghold every single time. I'll tell you a dangerous prayer to pray that you don't want to pray. God, teach me to see people like you see people. You, uh-uh. you, 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 don't want, you don't want to pray that. Husbands, you don't want to pray that. You know why? Because you're going to have to start loving your wife like Christ loved the church. Oh, my God. It got so quiet in here. <laughs> Wives, you don't want to pray that because you're going to start having to respect him. You don't, you don't, you don't want to pray that. Unless you mean business. You don't want to pray that because you're going to have to start being nice to annoying people. Y'all feel that? When y'all, and they call this a feel-good church. Some of y'all so tight right now. If you went to the bathroom, it would be a blowout. All right, here we go. God, why do y'all do that to me? Letter B's confession. Confession, do you know that church should be the safest place in the world to admit you got a problem? Hey, I, I didn't say this in the last service, and I probably, I'll probably say it again. But um, do you know I used to say, and it's not true anymore, I used to say that the world has way more grace than the church. That's not true anymore. Because when people are getting canceled over stuff that happened to them 10, 20, and 30 years ago, the church has a wide open opportunity. But, but I know the reason that nobody wants to confess at church. Because you'll become a sermon illustration or the subject of the, the, the gossip chain, a.k.a. the prayer chain. But I'm, I'm telling you, listen, listen. I'm just going to set everybody free. Everybody in this place. Everybody is jacked up. Look at, look at the person next to you. Okay, now look at the other person because you came with that first person. That's, how, that's why some of you women don't put your pocketbook in the floor. That's why some of you women don't carry a pocketbook. Oh, I go to Second Chance, just put it in your front pockets, all right? I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you can't, you, listen, I've been in ministry for 30 years. I heard it all. But we won't confess in church. But until you get real, you can't get healed. Can I say it again for the people in the back? Until you get real, you can't, you can't get healed. And, and, but I know why you don't want to get real. But see, this, is a, this, this, this house, I can only speak for this house. 
This house is a place for busted up people. Like, if you got in a wreck on the way home today, if you got in a wreck, your car turned over several times, you got all cut up, and you were bleeding, you needed stitches, and they came and picked you up in the ambulance, none of you would say, hey, 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 before you get me to the ER, let me run by the house so I can change clothes and do my hair. That'd be weird, wouldn't it? No, you're like, get me to the place that can help me. Hey, listen, if you're looking for a museum for saints, this is not your place. But a hospital for sinners, this is the place where you need to be. I, I'm just saying it's okay to confess. If you need to talk to somebody after the service, we have people in our care room every week. And you're not going to surprise these people. In fact, if you keep holding on to it and you don't talk about it, you can't get healed. Confession. And the last thing is, is worship. Now, can, can, we, can we all agree that sometimes it's easy to worship? Yes? And sometimes it's hard? Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, you mean, it's never hard to worship. Well, okay, whatever. Maybe for the angels. The angels don't have a hard time worshiping. But humans? I remember, I remember um, you know, you, you get in a worship service like this, and the music's just right, and the singers can sing. I mean, you got... Gosh, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. But then when you get blindsided and you're hurt, like your church hurt, a relationship hurt, or spit, it's, it's hard to worship, isn't it? Like when all hell broke loose in my life five years ago and I'm out in Arizona at some rehab place and it's not a Christian rehab place. They are into like the Native, uh, Native American arts and stuff and I'm at a service called Kiva where they're doing these dances and I'm like, I have, what has happened? What? Dear God, now I, I really need a drink. Like I'm, I'm just in the place where I don't want to be. What do you do? Like, how do you, like, how do you, listen, I, if you're frustrated with me talking about worship, I get it because I've been there. How do you worship when, when, when the doctor tells you about the health? How do you worship when you lose your job? How do you worship when your life's fallen? How do you worship? For me, for me, I'll tell you what God did over this past season. He's simply showed me that I can worship based on where I could have been had he not intervened. Let me set it up this way. When you're driving down the road and you're approaching a, a red light and it turns red, you stop. Am I right? And you're driving down the road and the light's green, you go. Now, let me pause real quick to talk to just a couple people in the room. Don't anticipate it turning yellow. If it's green, go. Because when you slow down, it, okay. <clears throat> but when you're driving down the road and there's nobody in front of you, and the light turns yellow, what do you do? You go faster, right, 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 right. There's a couple people in the room that said slow down, but it's because you got your teenager sitting next to you, all right? And let's talk about your teenager for a second. Life 360, you got them on lockdown anyway, so you know they're running. Don't you love it? Man, I'd be dead if my dad would have had it. Anyway, so, so I remember I was driving. I can tell you exactly where it was. I was on Highway 81. I was driving down the road. And the light turned yellow, and me and Karis, my daughter, in the car, and I was, I was about to punch it, and then something hit me. And it wasn't like, I wasn't having like a good dad moment, like I need to model good driving, because she knows I drive crazy. Something just was like, slow down. Don't run that red light. And I can remember, I remember this like yesterday. I took my foot off the gas, and I, and I put on the brake, and I slowed down. And, and, and in my mind, I could see it. I timed it. 
had I ran that red light, that yellow light, there was a car on the side that ran the red light. And it would have T-boned us on Karis's side. So in that moment, you know what I did? I worshiped. And I worshiped God because of what he delivered me from. At the end of the day, if you can't worship him for where you are, maybe you could worship him because of what he delivered you from. Because some of you in this room, you should be in a hospital today. You should be in a mental institution. You should be in a gutter. Some of you should be sick. Some of you should even be dead. But because of God and his mercy and the way he intervened and when he moved in time, even when you didn't see him moving, he was moving. Even when you didn't think he was faithful, he was faithful. And if you can't worship God for what he's doing, worship God for what he delivered you from. Because if you're in this room, he delivered you from something. Last but not least, last but not least, we got a future to take. I, one of the things that bothers me so bad is the way Christians treat an injury. I'll put it in injury. You get injured as a Christian, and you get put out of the game for the rest of your life. You see a, a player play football, and they get injured. You want them to come back in the game, don't you? But too many Christians don't want people to come back in the game. I, I've said it till I'm blue in the face. I hope I'm known for saying it. But if you're not dead, God's not done. You still have a future. Esau did. Esau shook it off. Now, what did Esau do to shake it off? If you come by tonight, I'll tell you. There was one major thing he did. If you come back tonight, I'll tell you all about it. We'll fill in those blanks on the other side. If not, everybody that comes in this room is sworn to secrecy. They won't tell you what those blanks are. <laughs> this is the account of the descendants of Esau, also known as Edom. He didn't like being named Harris so and went to Vegas and had his name changed. Esau took his wives. <laughs> Can we talk about that for a minute? <laughs> Have you read the Old Testament before and went, so Solomon had 300 wives? And so, like, wives. Pastor P, why did they go from wives in the Old Testament to wife in the New Testament? It's simple. Wives means mothers-in-law. <laughs> if you ain't laughing, she's sitting with you right now. I know it's awkward. <laughs> That's just my opinion. Took his wives and his children, his entire household, along with his livestock and cattle, all the wealth. What? He accumulated wealth. Why? Because he shook it off. He had relationships because he shook it off. He had a life because he shook it off. All the wealth he had acquired from the land of Canaan moved away from his brother Jacob. There was not enough land to support them both because of all the livestock and possessions they had acquired. 
So Esau, also known as Edom, settled in the hill country of Seir, and eventually Esau, Edom, became the Edomites, which became an entire nation. God brought brought a mess out of a, God, God brought a miracle out of a mess because Esau shook it off. I've got a future. You've got a future. Now, I know what it's like to feel like it's over. When I got back from rehab, I remember sitting in an apartment, and I just, I just needed to hear from God. I don't know if you've ever been in that moment where, like, God, I need you to speak. I need you to speak. And I did something that I don't recommend this, but I did it. But I'm, I'm, this is just confession. I'm going to tell you all I did it, but I don't recommend it. Some of you all already done it. I took a Bible like a like a like a like a paper had paper in it bible like a real not not a bible app i took a bible and i said god i need to hear from you and wherever i open this bible that's going to be your word to me now i listen i'm i'm just saying it's not the best idea cuz you heard about the guy one time that did that right he did that with his Bible when he opened a guy and he'd hear from you, whatever you say, and he opened it up and he read, Judas hanged, hanged himself. <laughs> Close the Bible. Uh, needed, needed. So he's saying, I'm gonna try it again. He opened it up. Go and do likewise. Oh, snap. <laughs> okay, one more time, guy. What you're about to do, do it quickly. Okay, and like I so that that can happen. I'm just saying. So for, so for me, I'm sitting there with my Bible, and, and I was like, God, I, I just need something from you. And when I open my Bible, Isaiah 49.6 says this. He says, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, that verse absolutely rocked my world. You say, Perry, what's so special about that verse, I mean, that's not a t-shirt verse, that's not a, that's not a keychain verse. Like, what's so special about that verse? Well, God spoke to me in that verse, and he showed me I had a future because in the darkest moment of my life, he met me right here. And the part about this verse that stood out to me the most is you will do more. You still have a future. See, they, they, whoever they are in your life, they labeled you an addict. They labeled you a failure. They labeled you forgotten. They labeled you unknown. They labeled you. And you've let their labels limit who you are and who Jesus has called you to be. I'm telling you today, somebody needs to shake it off. For me, when I realized I've got a future, and guess what? Other people don't get to determine the calling and the destiny and the anointing that God has on your life. God has more for you. At this point, you got to shake, like, the hurt, the pain, the guilt, the shame. you got to shake that off. And by the power of Jesus, you can. You can. You can live an abundant life. You can live with the power of the resurrection flowing out of you, not because of who you are, but but because of who Jesus is and what he's doing in and through you. We stand for prayer with me. Jesus, I want to thank you today for every single person here. Everybody in this room has a story, Jesus. All of us. 
Father, I pray in the name of Jesus through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would fill us with boldness and courage. And God, for that person wrestling with guilt or shame or addiction or anxiety, God, that they would know by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that we can shake it off. Maybe right where you're standing, heads bowed and eyes closed, you just need to tell Jesus, Jesus, fill me with your strength. Let me see this, Jesus, as you see it. Let me see me as you see me. Maybe you're here today and you need to pray to receive Christ. You've never asked Jesus to come into your life. If that's what you need to do, then right where you stand right now, I want to invite you to pray with me and ask Jesus to come into your life. Just pray this prayer in your heart. Just say, Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay for my sins. And right now, Jesus, I receive you into my life. Come in and take over. In Jesus' name I pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you just prayed that prayer, if you just asked Jesus to come in your life, would you do me a favor and shoot your hand straight up in the air and hold it up for just a second because I want to say amen. I want to celebrate with you. I want to celebrate hands in the air, hands in the air. Father, thank you so much for the hands that are in the air. Thank you so much for the people that have crossed over from death to life. Thank you so much for the people that were here today that have heard the message that we can shake it off, that what the enemy put on us does not have to stay on us. And by your strength and through your power, we can overcome anything the world throws our way. We love you, Jesus. We celebrate you. We celebrate who you are. We celebrate what you're doing. We thank you for today. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody that agreed said, Amen. Did you, are you glad you came to church today? Hey, if you're a first-timer, I'll see you back in the first-timers area. Y'all have a great week.